Today I wanted to do a bit of a different episode, as in I wanted to start talking about more Indian mythology, because I am Indian, and that's something I grew up with. Um, fun fact, my family is predominantly Tamilian, um, and I grew up with a lot of mythology stories being told to me for like bedtime and stuff like that. My grandmother was a big avid fan of stories, and my mom writes, so logically that makes me somewhat of a weird person that just loves books and mythology and things like that. So today I'm going to be talking about the Dashavataram. I'm not going to be talking about all of the avatar avatars. I don't know why I said avatars like a white person. Um, avatars. Um, but first to explain what the Dashavataram is. Um, the Dashavataram is the 10 incarnations of Vishnu, who is the sustainer, the preserver of the universe. We have the Holy Trinity in Indian mythology. We have Lord Brahma, who is the creator. We have Lord Vishnu, who is the sustainer. And then Lord Shiva, who is the destroyer. And the Dashavataram has to do with the incarnations of Vishnu, because he is the um, person in the god, I should say, in the trinity that manifests themselves as a human the most. So today specifically I'm going to be talking about only five or six. Is it five or six? No, no, no. It's six. Six incarnations because the other ones are like Krishna which has like way too many stories and the Ramayana that if I was an Indian citizen I could get arrested for telling because that's a story that if you get it wrong or you destroy any facts you could go to jail. I may not be an Indian citizen but still I have respect for that story because I grew up with it and although I could recite it I'm just scared of adding stuff to it that doesn't need to be there. So I'm not going to tell that story. I'm going to predominantly be telling only six stories um, but these are probably my favorites out of the Shavataram. So let's get started. The first story I'm going to be talking about is actually kind of a cute one. I really do like the story, but it's our version of Noah's Ark. And I don't know, I just, this story just makes me like, I don't know, maybe it's because it has to do with an animal. I don't know. Uh, I said I don't know way too many times. I should know. Um, just to be clear, the source for majority of these stories, because there's very, very different variations of it, is actually this book, like this picture book, sort of anthology book, by Anita Nair and Atuna, Atanu Roy. cannot say that person's name at all. I keep butchering it. Atanu, Atanu Roy. Oh my god. Um, it's called The Puffin Book of Magical Indian Myths, if you guys would like to check it out. It's actually a very colorful book. The illustrations are just so eye-catching. Really, really enjoy it. You should read it. Anyway, let's get into this. So in this story, we have two central characters, Manu and Matsya. So this story is called Matsya the Fish, okay? So, our first character, Manu. He was described as this very good and holy man who lived his life in righteousness. He's just really nice. He's kind of like that next door neighbor that just would always give you sugar, that kind of thing. Um, he wasn't really content with his life, though, because the people around him, including his family, aka his wife and children, were pretty dishonest and corrupt people, as in these were like the worst of the worst. Everyone on the, on the planet Earth at this point is just a bad person except him. They made fun of him for being good and just, but Manu being a pure soul refused to be influenced by their words and continued being just a nice and holy person. Sometimes, though, he would pray to the gods to be taken away from the people in his life, and eventually his wish would come true. 
So every morning as a practice, Manu had a practice of just getting out a small pot of water from a well to wash his hands. And one morning as he's washing his hands, he notices this little voice crying for help. And he doesn't know where it's coming from, but he eventually looks down into the pot and he notices this very small, tiny horned fish speaking to him. And this is Matya. Um, fun fact, I am a Bharatanatyam dancer and I have learned almost a way to portray every single one of these characters in one single movement. It's very expressive, Bharatanatyam. I recommend you guys check out the dance form. It's very nice. Anyway, Matya asks him for help to keep himself safe. In return, he would protect Manu. And Manu's obviously a little bit put off by the request because Matya is so tiny he could get swallowed by a frog, and a frog is also tiny, so just imagine the size here. Um, but he ends up accepting the request after a little bit of hesitation because he's like, you know what, maybe it's a magic fish. He leaves Matsya in a small pot, puts it away in a hidden place, because he knows that if his children see Matsya, they would kill it. Again, his children are fucking monsters, okay? Um, every day he would feed Matsya and talk to him about the world around them and just be really philosophical. Oh my god, this word. Philosophical with the fish, because that's normal. Um, because, okay, just a thing you have to know, in Indian mythology, never question anything, okay? Um, because all of it doesn't make sense, yet all of it makes perfect sense and you can't say anything about it okay anyway uh, as time went on Matsya starts to grow and this fish grew so rapidly and so much that Manu had to bring it to a lake and soon even that wasn't enough um, and like Manu was like where the fuck do I keep you and he asked Matsya and he's like why don't you put me in the ocean so now he has to lug this giant fish to the ocean he ends up going there he um Every evening from that point on, Manu would go to the ocean with this bag of puffed rice, which actually is a delicacy. Y'all, try puffed rice. It slaps. Um, and scatters it into the water. And on one of these evenings, when Manu comes to feed him, Matsya told him, tells him to like build a boat and put the seed of every living being in it. And says, you need to live in the boat because I told you so. And so Manu's a little bit like, okay. I'll do it. I trust you. At this point, he realizes that obviously it's not an ordinary fish because it grew like 10 sizes. So he gets to work. All the while, his neighbor, his family, all mocking him. But he continues with this task because he's a G like that. He also continues to meet Matsya. One night, while he's meeting Matsya, he, Matsya warns him that on this night, there's going to be this giant storm. And it's going to flood the village and everyone's going to die. And the only way he can stay alive is if he stays in the ship and wait for him, waits for him. He, so Manu is like, oh my god, I have to like warn everyone because, you know, they're all going to die. So he runs to, back home to the village and he's like, everyone, there's a storm coming. We're all going to die. Put on your raincoats. Let's get out of here. But no one believes him because yet again, they're all dumbasses. So alone and dejected, he goes to his ship and he stays there alone with all the seeds, obviously. That night, uh, Matsya was right. A great storm did blow. Um, the resulting flood from that storm drowned the entire world, killed every man, woman, child, except Manu. He remained safe and dry in his ship. Matsya finally arrives when the storm is at its peak and he's like, okay, I need you to take this cable. I need you to fasten it to my horn because he has a horn because fishes have horns. And, um, he pretty much starts towing his ship through the water. This journey takes many days, but as time goes on, Manu grows lonely because, you know, everyone just died and now he's surrounded by a bunch of animals and plants and stuff. Um, he worried that the world would end with him, so he um, ends up 
being granted a wife and when the flood receded they go back to earth they have kids their kids become the ancestors of mankind Matsya turns out to be Vishnu and they all lived happily ever after and yet again Noah's Ark this story is also pretty wild just because like um it's just so weird (laughs) um he ends up Vishnu becomes two people in this one, so I guess because um, the second incarnation in the story is not actually counted as part of the Dashavatar, which I think is kind of unfair just because I feel like this incarnation of him was probably my favorite. We'll get into it. Um, so, after this flood happens, um, several rare items were swept away and settled at the bottom of the water. And for the ongoing stories in this episode, you're going to have to know there are two sides to the heavenly and celestial being system, okay? There are the devas, who are the gods, and then the asuras, who are the demons, okay? And not all the time are asuras bad, and not all the time are devas good. It's very morally gray, but, you know, they kind of, like, just tell you that devas are the good guys, asuras are the bad guys. I have seen a few nice asuras. Fun. So, the devas end up trying to retrieve them, but they soon realize that that task was going to be impossible for them because there's not enough people. So, they have to recruit the asuras, the Asuras agreed to help because they also want the cool stuff at the bottom of the ocean, especially this one thing called Amrita. Both of these sides want Amrita because this is the nectar of life and it can turn people immortal. Fun job. So, the recruitment of the Asuras solved the problem of, you know, quantity, but soon came the problem of how they get the stuff out. Um, remember Lord Brahma from the beginning where I talked about the Trinity? Yeah. He offers the idea, why don't we churn the ocean like butter? Because if you churn the ocean, the movement would allow all the objects to flow to the surface. And with that, they agree to that idea because it seems pretty nice, right? So the devas ask the serpent Vasuki to let them use its coils of the rope. The Mount Mandra would be the churn. There's actually a really cool story about Mount, the Mountain Mandra. Um, maybe one day I'll tell it, but it's a Christian story. It's really funny and not really funny. It's kind of cool, though, because it's just really funny and petty, but, like, I'll get to it someday. Varuna, the lord of the night and the oceans, was originally asked to hold the mountain down, but he found the mountain to be a bit too heavy for him, and he eventually gave up the job, which sets back a lot of people. Now, Vishnu is among the devas who were supposed to turn the ocean, and he was getting pretty restless, because homeboy's wife, uh, consort Lakshmi, the goddess of prosperity. She had been taken by the flood, so in order to get his wifey back, he volunteers to hold down the mountain. Um, which is funny because Vishnu is also Krishna, and again, the story. So Vishnu becomes Kurma, a giant turtle. Which, mm, by the way, I have to tell you, Kurma is one of my favorite mudras to do. I just find it so fun um, because it looks so odd, but it's just so nice to do. It, it's really simple too. Um, this doesn't make any sense. I apologize. Anyway, continuing. The process begins. The tugging of Vasuki ends up causing him to exhale pretty heavily, and this becomes clouds. His breath becomes clouds. How aesthetically pleasing. The clouds burst in a rain, falls on the gods. The rain was actually pretty welcomed by the devas because it's like, oh my god, we're like doing all this hard work, and now it's like a nice mist, right? But, um, then the serpent started spraying poison and a bunch of people died, so that's fun. Uh, <laughs> the movement of the mountain also killed many animals and set off many fires because friction does what? And that was solved by the rubbing also squeezing the juices of several medicinal plants into the ocean, reviving the sea creatures. And then Indra summoned rain to put out the fires because he's like, I can't have all of my people 
um, you know, bursting into flames, spontaneous combustion, we don't like that. So as Sadevas and Asuras continue with the churning, the lost items started to surface. Now, I'm going to apologize. Um, I am an ABI, American-born Indian, all the way through, which means my pronunciation kind of sucks on a few things. So I'm going to try my hardest and remember the way that my grandmother said them because she said them so nicely. I don't know what it is, but the Indian accent. But anyway, continuing. As the devas and asuras continued the churning, the item surfaced. Um, first up was Kamadenu, the cow of plenty. Uh, this cow was gifted to Vishishta, who is the officiating priest. There are actually a lot of stories revolving around Vishishta. Maybe I'll tell them one day, just because there's so many, and like, mm, man's kind of a G. Anyway, Aravata, who is a white elephant. That's literally the only description we have for him. It's just a white elephant. And then I'm going to mess this one. Uche Shavas, who is a horse. It's literally, all, it's just a horse. Um, both of them were claimed by Indra. Sura, the goddess of wine, resurfaced. She kind of just vibed because, you know, she's her own person. Indra also claimed uh, this tree called the Parijata tree because it apparently smelled really nice. Obviously, I've never smelled it before, but apparently it smelled really nice. And he wanted to put it in heaven so all celestial beings could smell it and be like, oh my god, it smells so nice up here. Ramba and other celestial nymphs became dancers in Indra's court eventually, and actually the moon came out. The moon fell into the ocean. I don't know how that even happens, but that's what happened. Um, the moon came out and was immediately seized by Shiva to become a hair ornament. And you know what? I gotta respect that because aesthetically pleasing, you know? Do what you want for some nice jewelry. Um, the turning actually goes on for another thousand years no Amrita has emerged. Instead, we have Visha, which is poison. And that's not good. So the snake gods tried to drink as much as they could, but there was still so much left that it looked like it could kill all of them with the fumes. It'd be funny to think that gods could be killed by poison, but that is what's happening here. To prevent this, Shiva drinks all the poison, which ends up turning his throat blue because it gets stuck there. I don't know how that works, but it did. The training begins again, renewed passion. They're going quicker and faster. They're going for it. Shanka, the conch, conch shell? Is it conch shell or conch shell? Conch shell. I'll just go for conch shell. The conch shell of victory. Gaustuba, a this priceless jewel, Lakshmi finally gets out of there. Thank the Lord. And ironically. Um, and finally, um, we have the Amritha emerge with Danwantri, who is the god of medicine. And with this... The turning comes to an end, and Vishnu does not have to be Kurma anymore. He has now returned to human form. At this point, though, as it, I don't think you guys have noticed, but um, a lot of the objects that came out of the ocean, they ended up going to the devas. Um, at this point, the Asuras had discovered that majority of the items had been taken by the devas, and he, they got so fucking mad. They start, they just snatch the Amrita and are like, let's go to battle. Now, Shiva decides to intervene before things get too intense, which is ironic because he's a god of destruction and he could have bodied all of them, but he decides to be like, hey, why don't we split the Amrita since we both did a lot of work and, you know, we're all tired, so let's split the Amrita. And, of course, that begs the question, who's going to divide it and who's not going to be biased about it? And Vishnu turns into his second incarnation with the, within the story, um, and this is Mohini. I just love... <laughs> I just find it so funny because this this man knew that the weakness to any straight man is a woman. And so Mohini was designed to be this very ethereal beauty. She's practically the most beautiful woman in the world. 
um, universe even. Everyone was so dazzled by her beauty. No one even had the mind to question her when she said that the deva should be served first um, because of age. Apparently they were older. Um, I don't know how you can tell, but okay. Um, after serving all the devas, there were only a few drops left, which she drank. And might I add, she's Vishnu, so serve twice, might I add. Um, there was n really nothing left for the asuras. Um, just then, the moon and the sun, both of whom knew that Mohini is Vishnu, noticed that there's an asura who had disguised himself as a deva and had been served Amrita. And this asura is named Rahu, okay? And the moon and the sun tell Vishnu... And he's like, they're like, oh my god, dude, there's like a traitor or like a, like an intruder kind of thing. And Vishnu promptly reveals himself, hurls a Sudarshan Chakra, which is this, his weapon of choice, which is a, pretty much a disc that he hurls at people's heads and it cuts their head off. Um, very fun. Cuts off his throat. But since the Amrita had already gone down his throat, he's pretty much immortal now. So it led his head and body to remain alive separately. His head... Re Obtained his name, Rahu, and his body gained the name Ketu. Since that point on, Rahu wreaks revenge on the moon and sun by occasionally swallowing them, which is what we call an eclipse. And again, another battle ensues because the Asuras now know that Mohini is not real and it's Vishnu. But the Asuras were really tired of turning. The Devas had just gotten that nice energy drink, so they were defeated again because, um, yeah. This next story is actually pretty short. Like, it's literally a paragraph in my notes. It's very short. Um, and it's pretty self-explanatory, as in it's really just a story of Vishnu killing someone. So let's get into it. So this story starts with a set of Asura twins. Again, Asuras of the demons. Haranyaksha and Haranyakashibu. I am pretty sure I said the first guy's name wrong. But again, ABI's american-born indian i really don't know what i'm saying anyway they were trying to be the next asura chiefs and they were uniform in their hatred for devas they pretty much just wanted to like become rulers over them and like very much just you know world domination you know with that vibe one day hanin yaksha the older twin came up with this idea to cripple the gods since the people on earth were the ones that gave devas the delusions of grandeur that apparently they claimed they had anyway um they should just get rid of the earth because if there's no earth there's no prayers means there's no power so with this plan he ends up dragging the earth to the bottom of the ocean and like pretty much just stands there holding it to his chest and this obviously is pretty troubling for the devas because not only is everyone at the bottom of the ocean they also aren't strong enough to beat haranyaksha even if they all work together so Vishnu decides to take on the set on his own because girl boss behavior. So he assumes the form of Varaha. Varaha. Did I say Varaha? Oh my god, I'm bad. Varaha, which is a gigantic boar, pretty much. He swims to the bottom of the ocean. I just want you to mentally picture that. A giant boar swimming to the bottom of the ocean. I find that hilarious. Um, kills Haranyaksha after like a thousand year battle because guess what all these battles take over the course of like a thousand years and finally he's killed and he restores the earth back to where it was and everyone lives happily ever after again very short story really not that entertaining i find that one actually the most boring out of all of them but you know the next one's actually pretty cool because it's pretty funny this one's my favorite like by far my favorite story pretty much of all time 
Um, mainly because I heard the story so many times. My grandmother used to tell me it all the time. I was and I still am an avid fan of Amar Chitrakata, which is pretty much an Indian comic series. And yeah, I'm just... Mm. I actually have this story in comic form and that just fortifies my love for it because if you guys haven't heard of Amar Chitrakata, really, really recommend you find some place to get them. They're all really tiny comic books that just summarize Indian myths into just beautiful comic style. Just go for it. Really love it. I have like 900 like issues of it. I love that. I love that comic series so much. So this story actually involves the twins from Varaha story, specifically the younger one, Hiranyakashipu. When Hiranyakashipu discovers that his brother has been killed, he goes into this long penance in order to obtain a boon from Shiva. And when Shiva finally arrives, the boon that he asks for is invincibility. Um, there needs to be a weakness in your boon. You cannot make it foolproof, okay? That's literally just a rule. So to this, Shiva says, even though you've proved that you have a lot of devotion towards me, I can't promise you to have invincibility. So Hiranyakashipu is pretty smart and he asks for a boon that will ensure that he cannot be destroyed either by man or an animal, neither indoors nor outdoors, neither at day nor night, neither by poison nor weapon. So pretty much cannot be killed. Um, this statement will prove pretty, you know, not true later on because he does end up dying, but he he asks for the same thing with a very tiny margin of error. And Shiva grants this because it seems, you know, he could kill he could get killed in that very tiny margin of error so he gives it to him from this point on he's pretty much invincible top of his game he goes to battle with indra who's the king of heaven and god of rain wins now he's in control of heaven the earth and the netherworld which is what he and his brother wanted all along the devas approach shiva for help but all he said was that they would have to endure their suffering for a while more because hiranyakashipu's reign was drawing to a close i've already ex explained Character one. There are three central characters to the story. So we've already introduced Hiranyakashipu. Now we're going to talk about character two, Prahalad. Prahalad is Hiranyakashipu's son. And despite his fondness for him, the king of Asuras was getting pretty irritated by his son's devotion to Lord Vishnu. He wanted Prahalad to accept that he was the one true god um, and pretty much told him that if he wanted to pray, he could only say Om Namo Hiranyakashipu, which doesn't have the same ring as Om Namo Narayana, okay? Which is why he was praying. Um, but Prahalad refused and continued to chat his lord's name, as he should. Um, and seeing this, he gets pretty mad. And the logical thing to do is declare that your son's a traitor and arrange for him to be killed. Because ego. Anyway. First, he orders a rogue elephant to be brought in and trample the boy. But when the elephant saw Prahalad and heard him pray, it fell to his knees and dropped a garland of wildflowers around his neck. Um... Now he's even more mad, so he sets poisonous snakes on Prahalad's bed when he's asleep. But the snakes end up just guarding the boy and then leaving when he wakes up. As a last resort, he throws him into a funeral pyre, but again, the power of his prayer causes the sky to break into a huge thunderstorm and he's saved. Now, okay, now his dad's like, what the fuck? You know, like, why isn't it this working? So he's just questioning him, where is your lord? I want to have a word. How dare he try to foil my plans? And when Prahalad responded that he was everywhere, his father starts to break shit. Um, he breaks a bench. He breaks a throne. He breaks pretty much everything in the throne room. And then he gets to this pillar. Random pillar. 
and when as soon as he touches the the he smashes the pillar with his mace a half man half lion creature emerges and this is character number three not a simha um i don't again i told you guys i'm really into barthenatium um, there is actually this pose for the Narasimha scene, which is so difficult because you pretty much have to bend over backwards and you can't really touch the ground. You're more like hovering. It's like really hard, but it's one of the most like, I don't know, it's one of my favorite poses of all time just because it's so physically, like it's physically annoying because your back is just in pain and you have to have a really good core and I have neither. So <sighs> anyway. Once Prahalat sees Narasimha, he falls to his feet and professes devotion because he recognizes that this is Lord Vishnu coming to save him. And this one's a bit gruesome compared to the other stories because Narasimha just grabs Hiranyakashipu, drags him towards the door of the palace, which is passing the threshold. Um, in India, this is considered neither outdoors nor indoors because it's pretty much outside, but it's also inside. So really, are, where are you? Um, this is taking place at twilight, which is neither day nor night. Um, he uses his claws, which aren't poison or weapons, to rip open his stomach and then pull his intestines out. So, happy ending. Prahalad becomes king of the Asuras, returns to heaven, um, gives it back to Indra, and then makes the subjects pretty happy until his death. So, you know, everyone works out and it's a win-win for everybody. Yay. This next story is just funny. Like, it's not, it's not like, well, it's not funny in that, like, it's pretty sad ending, but it's, it's funny. And, like, when you think about how it happened, it's pretty hilarious. So, this story uh, introduces the character of King Bali, who is the, Bali or Bali? Bahubali. Bali? Maybe? I don't know. I've heard both. Um, so King Bali was the grandson of Prahalad, and like his grandfather, he was a just ruler who tried to curb his subjects' violent impulses. He also sought supremacy over heaven and earth by non-violent means, meaning he undertook righteous penance, and due to the strength of his dedication and virtue, he ends up taking away heaven from Indra. So now he is in charge of all three worlds, and actually surprisingly loved by everyone. He was a very nice ruler, he provided for his subjects, he was very kind, um, despite this, though, the devas soon grew pretty jealous of Bali and feared that they would lose their standing due to Bali answering all requests and prayers. So they went to Vishnu. And Vishnu was like, dude, he's doing great. I don't know what the problem is. Literally just leave him alone. But then they bring up the fact that he's an asura. Therefore, his kids and his grandkids, they might not be so nice, you know, because... Again, Asuras apparently have like this inherent violent impulse. So regardless of Bali is there to curb it, what happens after he dies? Are they going to stay that way? So Vishnu decides to step in. He manifests himself in the womb of Aditi, who is the wife of Sage Kashyapa. Kashyapa? Kashyapa. I hate myself. ABI, man. Um, he was born as Vamana. And Vamana, Vamana is probably the funniest story for me just because... The man is very short. He is tiny, like just petite. And it was like that, even as an adult, he was very petite. And it was like this that he went to King Bali's court. So Bali, again, very nice guy, receives Vamana as if he's like this very important guest and asks him how he can be of service. And Vamana replies that he wants three feet of land. Strange request, because he's like, do you want anything else? Because it's a pretty small request. But he remains firm. I only want three feet of land. This is what I want you to give me. Bali, amused, grants him the wish. He's like, what harm can that? It's three feet of land. But, you know, 
again, it's Lord Vishnu, so all is not what it seems. Vamana starts to grow, and he grows until he's tall enough to touch the sky. And with his left foot, he covers the earth. With his right, he covers heaven, which means he has already covered two feet. Realizing that he has covered two feet with nothing to do third, he wonders aloud, what can I do as, like, what can I take for my third foot of land? And Bali at this point has recognized, oh my god, this is Lord Shiva. What do I give him? And he decides, look, I don't really have anything else, but I offer my own head as a third foot. When the Deva saw this, they kind of felt bad. They were like, oh man, we just we just ruined this man's life. And they removed, they rained flowers down on Bali, but regardless of their remorse or anything, Vamana places his foot on Bali's head and pushes him down to the netherworld, claiming that is his new kingdom. You can rule the netherworld. Very fun. As Bali was about to leave, his grief-stricken subjects gathered to say goodbye, and when Bali saw the tears, he wondered how could he stay away from these subjects, the people that he's cared for for so long. Bali turns to Vamana and requests that for one day in the year, he is allowed to come back and visit his subjects, and this becomes known as the holiday known as Oman, which is pretty much when the people of Kerala welcome King Bali home with this like carpet of flowers. It's actually pretty, like it's a very pretty event. You guys should look it up. Um, but yeah, that is the story of Vamana. I just find it hilarious just because he's a tiny man with big feet. So, you know, <laughs> I have specific taste. This is our last story, but it's also one of the most fucked up ones to me just because it's very confusing and the ideologies of India was very different back then when this story was happening. So yeah, I will never understand this man's actions, but he is part of the Shavataram, so it is, this is what, it is what it is. There once was a man named Jamad Agni who was born to both a Kshatriya and a Brahman. If you need help with what these are, pretty much there's a, there was a caste system in India. Brahm, Brahm, Brahmins are at the very top. Um, they're like the learned men. They like read the Vedas, pretty much just holy men. And then you have the Kshatriyas who are the warriors. So that's pretty much what that is. So because he was born to both a Kshatriya and a Brahmin, um, he, in, he inherited this natural aptitude for the skills of warfare, and he also learned all the holy lore as a child. In time, he decides to marry, and his bride of choice was Renuka, who is a princess. And she's actually pretty okay with hermitage life, like surprisingly, considering she's a princess. She takes to it very, very easily, and they soon have five sons. One day, Renuka goes to fetch water from the river, and she sees a local king and his wife sitting by the riverside. And this kind of makes her jealous because she's like my husband's not so touchy-feely and he does he's never looked at me the way that that king looks as his wife so she's a bit jealous but she tries not to show it she goes back to the hermitage um but jamad agni again apparently some kind of supernatural sixth sense he kind of realizes like is she doubting me like is she doubting that i love her so angry that he doubt that she doubted his love for her he calls out to his five sons and he orders them to kill her because as apparently this is what he said i'm quoting from the book um they he orders them to kill her as she had fallen from grace and she was no longer who she was when she woke up this morning now the sons all look at him in shock Uh, like the four old eldest sons are like what the fuck you can't ask me to kill my mom that's kind of fucked um so then now he's mad at his sons too so he turns to the fifth son who's the youngest and he asks again the fifth son parashuram was an avatar of Vishnu. Um, A little bit of context here as to why this happened. Um, At this time, the world was being tyrannized by the Kshatriyas, specifically a king named Kartavirya, who 
he had been granted a boon pretty much there's a lot of boons in this story okay um thousand arms a golden chariot that went whatever he wherever he willed it to go invincibility and death at the hands of a man who was known to the entire world fun after taking Sri Lanka, his arrogance kind of grew because, um, by the way, he actually took King Ravana prisoner. If you don't know who Ravana is, he's in the Ramayana. Therefore, I cannot tell that story because it's very long and tedious and I don't want to do that in this episode. So, so sorry. Um, so, once he took Sri Lanka, he pretty much had like an ego boost and was like, I can do anything. And he just got worse. In grief, the people of the world turned to Vishnu and pleaded for mercy, so he manifests himself as a son born to Jamad Agni. And even as a young child, he performed such severe austerities that Shiva himself appeared and taught him the art of warfare. Um, and as a personal weapon, he gave him an axe. Um, and this axe was magical, because once it was raised, it would only rest when it had completely decimated his opponent. So, fun times. When he heard his father's order, Parshuram chopped his mother's head off, without a word just speechless just like you want me to come my mom okay and then just slice it off um Jamalagni was so pleased by this he said that he would grant him a boon and the boon that he asked for was a i want my mom back and b can you knock my brothers back into their senses because apparently they lost them i don't know when um but yeah so the mom's back the brothers are i guess back to their senses and they're all living as a happy family yet again Sometime later, when Jamal Agni and his sons are away, including Parshuram, Kartavira actually visits the hermitage and meets Renuka. And Renuka actually, like, Renuka's pretty welcoming, you know, she's playing good housewife. She's like, okay, you want to come in? You want some food? Um, she entertains the king as best as she can. But all she gets for her efforts was the king stealing the sacrificial lamb. And for some reason, Parshuram arrived first, um, and he finds his mother distraught and worried that his father would blame her, because you know how what happened last time he got mad. So... Parshuram kind of assures her, like, look, it's all going to be okay. I'm going to get the cow back. He goes looking for Kartavirya, cuts off all thousand arms, and then kills him. Like, that's got to hurt. Um, his anger could have reduced the world to ashes. So in order to, like, cool down, he goes to meditate in the forest. But then he can't even get a moment of solid peace because it turns out Kartavirya's sons killed his father in the hermitage to avenge their father's death. So now he comes back. And has like this oath now to cleanse the world of demon-like Kshatriyas. And so he goes around the world 21 times to kill Kshatriyas. And the amount of like people he killed could have filled five lakes with their blood. Okay, that's how much. And when he was finally content with his work, he went to the East Coast, flung his axe into the ocean, which actually formed Kerala because apparently Lord Varuna was like, I'll give you land, made Kerala for him with his axe. So that's the story of Parshuram. I kind of paraphrased. There was a lot of details that i didn't want to go into but yeah that's the story of parshuram and that's the last story i'm going to tell about the dashavatar let's get to the ending let me wrap this up thank you guys so much for listening i hope you guys enjoyed this story um if you want to listen to me talk to what, about whatever i want you can go listen to my other podcast amusing musings of raging introvert the episode this week is about red notice which is that netflix film with the rock and gal godot i'm saying your name wrong and Ryan Reynolds. So listen in on that. My YouTube is G1A. My Instagram is GiaChris726. And my TikTok is Gia.k. Um, you can listen to my Spotify. Again, G1A. G1A, not G1A. G1A. And yeah, I post covers on there. Hopefully I'll do original music soon. Black Lives Matter resources are in the description box along with anti-Asian hate crime resources. I really hope you guys check those out because our best defense against this thing is both education and action. 
So yeah, check that out. And thank you guys so much for watching. I'll see you guys next week with a story. Stay safe, stay sane, stay sanitary. I'll see you next time. Ah, ew. I thought that gross. Stay safe, stay sane, stay sanitary. See you guys next time. And bye.